It is caught. Touchdown, Auburn. Sanders caught it. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Campbell in the end zone. Caught. Touchdown, Auburn. Touchdown, Auburn. Touchdown, Auburn. Marty Cadillac. It is good. It's good. And Auburn's got the lead with 10 seconds to go. Welcome, everybody, to episode 21 of the Trackham Tigers podcast. I am your host, Derek Roberts, and I'm joined, as always, by Zach Taylor. Zach, how you doing? Doing fantastic, uh, Derek. Today is one of the two best days of being a boat owner. I'll let you guess which one it is. Fourth uh, of July and tax day? Income tax? Well, that's that's probably pretty close. I would say, you know... Number three and number four would be 4th of July and then probably Labor Day, but both of those are incorrect. They say that the best two days of boat ownership are the day that you buy a boat and the day that you sell a boat, and today it looks like I sold a boat. So, um, so you got you know, some I'm pretty bank. happy. You got some bank then. Well, let's not count our chickens before they hatch. I haven't ex- act, I haven't taken the check quite yet. I'm meeting the guy tomorrow, uh, but, uh, you know, hope Big Booty Judy finds a, a good owner that will appreciate her. Um you know, I'm, I'm not going to be without a boat forever, but, uh, you know, making a little money and uh, pay off some bills, you know, because Auburn football tickets are expensive. Well, okay, so what do you do if you sell a boat and the guy that shows up to buy it uh, shows up with, like, an aluminum briefcase full of cash, like, consecutively numbered large bills? You still take that money? Well, you know, you're, you, you know, do like you do uh, movies like, I don't know, Casino or Blow or what have you, you know, you randomly thumb through them. Uh, you make sure that there aren't any, like, uh, white pieces of paper in between, and then you walk away quickly. that. All right, so if you come to Auburn this weekend, drinks on you? Uh, yeah, you know what, that's fair. Uh, drinks on me, cigars on you. I think that was the plan. Yeah, I'll do cigars. I'm not scared. Fantastic. Yeah, we're still working on that on our end. Um, you know, I do have a, a fishing tournament I can fish in, and my wife told me that uh, if it's going to rain, we are unequivocally not going to the game. So, fingers crossed. Uh, we'll just see how this, um, you know, this hurricane, if it's going to squat in Virginia and North Carolina, that may persuade her to go to the game. If it decides to mosey on down our way, uh, all bets are off. Yeah, Hurricane Florence is not really cooperating with weather forecasters right now. He's kind of playing hard to get. This isn't a weather podcast all of a sudden, but Hurricane Florence is being kind of an asshole. And I think it's kind of important, you know. Uh, certainly the people that are involved, we wish them the best. We hope they're smart. They got out of town. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, tornadoes pop up around here. But, you know, we're, when, when we know they're coming, we pretty much uh, go to our Freddy holes. Uh, I, I guess you probably can't go to a Freddy hole for a hurricane. You know, digging a hole probably doesn't help you much. But, uh, you know... Prayers, thoughts and prayers for all you people out there. Hope you stay safe. Yeah, I just hope everyone's heeding the advice of local officials. You know, you always have those stubborn people that have, you know, like a gallon of water, a goat, and a loaded shotgun, and they're not going anywhere. And it's just like, I, it's not surviving the anyway. hurricane. That's the hard part. It's the aftermath. It's nobody can get to you to help you and all this other terrible things. But anyway, Zach, we played a football game this past weekend against Alabama State, and... uh there are a few areas of concern in that game. I came away at the end of it. Shout out to the random YouTube bootlegger that you know gave me the ability to see that game in its entirety because I was at a wedding this weekend. But uh, at the first, dreaded thought, football season wedding. Yeah, I wow, know, I don't know what these people were thinking. We're not that close of friends with them, but I guess we are since we went to their that, wedding. That's even worse. Did they have open bar at least? Yeah. Yeah, they had free drinks, so it wasn't, oh, wasn't too bad. But That's it, okay. In the middle of nowhere, no cell phone signal, no TV there, no radio. I felt like Little House on the Prairie or something. But uh, okay. I had spoken with you briefly uh, Saturday night, and you had mentioned that we looked sloppy in some ways. And at first, when I you know first started watching the game, it you know that's certainly what it looked like. But I ended up coming away with a bit of a different opinion. But what were some of your thoughts on the game? Some things that stood out positively and negatively. 
You know, I might have been a little harsh on them talking about starting out sloppy. Now, they did start out sloppy. Uh, you know, I guess maybe I expected to uh, dry the length of the field on the first possession and have a gorgeous touchdown, and, or, you know, that, that just didn't happen. Um, you know, the, the offense just didn't really look like it was full steam ahead, but, you know, the more I thought about it, and I actually went back and watched the game twice, um, it, it just seemed to me like they didn't have – a real game plan for ASU, and that's really no knock on the coaching staff because, you know, really I don't think they needed a game plan for ASU. No. What was so frustrating to me, I think, outside of the entirety of the game, a lot of it I ended up somewhat understanding. I think what left a lot of bad taste in people's mouths is the fact that Auburn comes out, they run a decent play on the first play, then we run like this busted option play, second play of the game, and then on third down, Stidham doesn't make the best throw and the receiver drops the football. And second possession, we come out and we're just going to run the ball. Jartavius Whitlow gets three strong carries, and then on his fourth carry, he fumbles the ball away. And then, you know, the the general Auburn fans sitting around thinking, okay, here we go. It's going to be one of those nights. But Auburn, for the most part, cleaned it up. I mean, the guys who were supposed to contribute, you know, did what did the things that they were supposed to do to recover from those early mistakes. The one caveat I'll add to that, though, is I was a little disappointed with Jarrett Stidham's downfield passing. It looked really bad, and he had some wide-open looks in this game that he just could not hit. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, um, and, and there were a couple other things. You know, we don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but you know, obviously uh, Auburn put the ball on the ground a couple different times. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, we got a punt return where you put a guy back there that hadn't filled a punt yet this year, and – it was a totally Auburn thing to do when you saw the ball go in there and you're like, oh, he's totally going to muff this punt, and he muffed the punt. And we had a, another running back fumble the ball, uh, and then later on we had another one, but it was a great play by the defense. Just kind of have to hand it to ASU's defense. And I forget who it was that was running, if it was Shivers or if it was Asa Martin or who it was, but uh, you know, stood him up. Martin. Yeah, they, they stood him up and they ripped it out. Um, you know, great play by them. But still, I mean – I had a couple of turnovers that, you know, really weren't necessary. I'm glad that it came with young guys to kind of prepare them for, hey, you know what? I may be an Auburn Tiger and we may be playing ASU, but that doesn't mean that I can not put my best effort out there. But, uh, you know, other than that, it was just kind of strange because I thought this would be a great opportunity to really tune up that passing game for Stidham. And while he did have the gorgeous throw, uh, you know, to, to Schwartz, early in the game, I would like to have seen him build a little bit more of a relationship with the other big-time receivers that are going to have to play a big role for Auburn this weekend. Yeah, I agree 100%. It was nice to see Anthony Schwartz kind of come out of nowhere, and he did come out of nowhere for me. I mean, I knew he was on the team, but I had no idea that he was as quick and as fast as he is. And so now I don't really understand all the panic of us not having a jet sweep guy with Eli Stove being hurt in the offseason, which really turns out we were only without a jet sweep guy for one week, but – uh, like I kind of want Anthony Schwartz to be the jet spit, the jet sweep guy, even if Eli Stove is healthy. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and not only that, but we really don't know. And, and again, this goes back to some comments that I made on an uh, article that was posted this week. Got a uh, some as usual some uh, different thoughts from Auburn fans, but you know, here's really my thoughts on that. We uh, we do see he, uh, Hastings get into the game against Alabama State. You know, he gets a long ball thrown to him, doesn't catch it. Uh, but, uh, you know, kind of left me thinking, you know, why we would go ahead and burn one of those four uh, games for Hastings if he wasn't quite ready. But then again, uh, this is going to be one of the key games that Auburn plays this year. Really one of the key four games. I mean, so Washington is one of those games. LSU is the second. Georgia is the third. Alabama is the fourth. Um, you know, you, you don't want to throw a guy out there in a key moment against LSU to win the game and, and not know what he's capable of. So I guess it made sense to me to see Hastings get out there, take a shot down the field to him, see what happens. With that being said, um, well, it's interesting to see Schwartz, Schwartz in there. Well, he almost killed Anthony Schwartz when he caught that touchdown pass. Did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't. Will Hastings yard sailed Anthony Schwartz after he caught that touchdown pass? Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. Hilarious because yeah, right. Will Hastings probably it shouldn't be knocking down anyone on the football team, and poor Anthony Schwartz, he just was not ready for that white boy thunder. No, you know, Hastings is a heck of an athlete, and if he can't catch passes, he'll kick uh, he'll kick some field goals for you. So, you know, but, it, you know, no matter what, it was good to see him out there. Uh, it was also good to see, um, 
Schwartz out there taking those jet sweeps. Now, I will also say that, that later on in the game, he had a couple of other opportunities, but it looked like his timing was a little bit off with Stidham and the snap count. So if, if indeed that's going to be the role that he's going to play against LSU, I, I hope they really got that cleaned up. And and while, you know, we talked against Washington, how they set up that jet sweep and never used it, but then they showed it against Alabama State. I kind of had a, a bone to pick with that. But again, I also say, you know what? Uh, that was a good, t- uh, good game to go ahead and, and make sure that the timing is there, get it fixed up, because that may be a key moment in this weekend's game. Yeah, it very well could be. There were a couple runs that, no lie, they looked so sloppy. They looked so out of sync. Stidham on that that first option look that he gave, and then there was another one. It was either middle of the first quarter, end of the first quarter, where it was like he started to run the option, but then he was like, nah, I really don't feel like doing this. And it was almost as if, I mean, I hate to sound like Alex Jones, but it was like we did it bad on purpose. It, hey, it, I, it was I that can't really bad. argue that. Well, you know, me and you are firm believers that uh, get Gus Malzahn is one of those guys that just believes that people are hiding in closets and to, to see what he does. And, you know, maybe this is the best uh, The best strategy was a little bit of misinformation. So, you know, who maybe knows so. what old Gus is up to? But, yeah, who's not? Like, he probably thinks that there's, like, black helicopters circling the field. No, I don't doubt that at all. Uh, Maybe not black helicopters. Maybe, you know, like a Cessna 112 or whatever they are. And I don't know, you know, fake Albies running around. Yeah, he like sees two Albies and and like loses his mind. Yeah, yeah. For the the most part, I was pretty happy with this game because especially in the second half, you you could see it a little bit towards the end of the first half, but especially in the second half when Malik Willis and Cord Sandberg started getting uh, snaps, Auburn just looked mostly bored more than anything. I mean, Alabama State couldn't do anything. They had one big play on Auburn's secondary early in the first quarter, and really after that, they weren't really hitting on much. No, they weren't, and, and I'll take that a step further. You know, and I and I didn't pay attention to exactly who was in the game for Auburn at this point because it was really late in the game. The game was decided; it was never going to be within question. But I also noticed that. Uh, I don't know if it was the second string line, maybe the third string line or whatever, but uh, the difference between execution between that group of guys, uh, in particular, there was a pulling guard uh, for Auburn on the offensive play that just looked sloppy. Like the, the entire run play was just sloppy, and it made you wonder, A, are these guys just not quite there yet? Uh, or B, is maybe the talent difference, or not really a difference, but is the talent uh, from Auburn's third string that close to Alabama State's first string. I, you know, I mean, I, maybe I'm reaching a little bit, but, you know, just you looked at that execution late in the game, and it left a lot to be desired. It, probably just a combination of everything. I mean, when you consider how inexperienced and young some of our, you know, our first stringers are on offensive line, I mean, a lot of that drop-off is expected and not atypical, I don't think. I mean, no. yeah, it looks sloppy, but I'm not, it wasn't anything that super concerned me. No, and you can't really knock a 63-9 to win. Uh, you know, and, and I think we're, me and you are about to touch on this, but we, we basically gave them we, – we, we did give them a safety, and we gave them uh, a touchdown, too. On, on a fantastic throw and catch for Alabama State, don't want to knock them at all for, for sticking one in the end zone there. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it was not a totally flawless game by Auburn, but it was good enough that we probably shouldn't second-guess in a lot. And I, and I think if this game would have come before – you know, maybe another mediocre game against Ole Miss or Arkansas. Uh, it'd be a different story. But this is LSU week. This is Corn Dog week. We wanted to see the team tight. You know, really hitting on all cylinders. Uh, they didn't quite do that, but hey, you know, sixty-three to nine. What can you say? Uh, well, it's kind of hard not to look ahead to LSU when you're in Auburn's position last weekend. I mean, Alabama State was putting up no resistance. Oh, they they had flat out given up. And, and me and Elise pointed this out. Um, as we were watching the game in real time, but uh, there were when, and I forget if it was if Whitlow was still in the game or if it was Shivers. I think it was Shivers that was in the game at that point. But when he would make it to the line and get past the line of scrimmage, the linebackers and secondary wanted absolutely no part of him. And a lot of that's because they were beat. They knew they were beat and they were tired. And I think a second part was that you know Shivers was absolutely bringing the lumber to those guys, and they just didn't want any part of it. No, Sean Shivers was playing like a maniac. Like he, 
there was a run. I believe Cole Kublik uh, shared this on Twitter the other day. It was his. It was Sean Shiver's run to like the three yard line, and he could have gone out of bounds and like come up a yard short, but instead he pushes for the extra yard and just destroys this guy for Alabama State on the sideline. And I was like, geez, man, like we need Sean Shivers to add like thirty five pounds and then just hand him the rock. Just yeah, you know, and I Sean think he's left, probably Sean a lot. To the right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he reminds me a lot, I think, of Mike Dyer. He has that kind of same height, uh, a couple of more pounds, and he's kind of there. But, you know, that kid – and granted, we got a lot a lot more of Bibby Whitlow. Uh, you know, he's a redshirt freshman, so we're going to have him for a couple more years. But, you know, you saw the way that he ran with the the fury and, and the punishing effect that he had on guys and finishing the runs that just made you go, hey, that guy is the future. That That is the future back for Auburn right there. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. That guy, he's running like a madman. Now, there's I, I wouldn't say this is a huge controversy from this game, but it appears we have a bit of a battle for the backup quarterback position. Malik Willis struggles again in his, you know, his limited playing time. I can't tell if he's pressing or if he's just, you know, if he's just off. Like, is he is he really not the guy we thought they were? Or is he just a little off? Well, you know, I, I think it's a little bit of two different things. Um, and, I, I'm, you know, obviously I want to hear your thoughts on it too. But, uh, you know, first of all, the offense that they put out there against Alabama State was a very base offense. It is not and, – and the base offense for, for Auburn right now is not the base offense that would uh, be featured with Malik Willis. You know, it is not a run first. It's not a read option, RPO-based. Um so, you know, it's, it's, it's tough for him. And we saw the same thing in the spring game where the offense that was on the field was not, you know, the personnel and the alignment and the formation that we would see with him. But I also do think that he was definitely pressing some. And, and, I, and I do want to hear your thoughts because, you know, I'm a fan of his too, but, but you know, you're definitely uh, the Malik Willis number 14, got to find me that jersey guy. Yeah, I'm a huge Malik Willis fan still. Even after the two-point conversion failed against Washington and even after what I saw against Alabama State. A, I do think he's pressing. I agree. I think he's just trying a little too hard. I think some of that's due to the fact that Auburn has 78 quarterbacks now and one's old enough to be Malik Willis's dad. But two, I didn't like that play call with him down there in the end zone. Like That play took way too long to develop. I didn't like the fact that he had, he was forced to make a decision right there. I mean, that was an RPO play, if I'm not mistaken, correct? It was, yep. Yeah, and so he's in the game. You've got the second or third string offensive line in, and so you're going to tell this quarterback who hasn't played all night that he's going to run the read option a yard from his own end zone. I didn't like that. They should have called something to give him a little more confidence so that you know he could maybe build on it. He didn't really do anything boneheaded after that, but I hate that that's like the second week in the in a row that you know people have a bad impression of Malik Willis. Ultimately, I think Malik Willis is going to be fine. I'm not saying he's going to be Nick Marshall, but he, he's certainly not as bad as what we've seen the first two weeks. I don't think. No, I don't think so either. You know, and and the bad decisions that affected Malik Willis started before Malik Willis ever got on the field. You know, we put in a guy to return a punt there. Um, and makes a you know a new guy mistake, lets the ball go over, over his head. Alabama State's punter pins us with the old you know corner trap there on the one yard line. Never should have happened. Um, you know Malik Willis can't get out there and catch punts. I think he could. I think he'd be a great punt returner, but he wasn't on the field to do it. So he gets set up kind of in a bad situation there. Uh, I do think he made a bad read uh, because the the defensive end was was right there in his face. And while the handoff that he would have given may have gone for no gain or maybe a you know a minuscule gain, you know you still got to hand that ball off. But you know what, the kid knows. Uh, well, he thinks, hey, I'm only going to get into a certain amount of games this year, and I really want to make a good impression. So I, I mean, I just I can't fault the kid for for tucking and running. You know that's what he feels comfortable doing. It was a bad situation he got put into. He made it slightly worse with the decision that he made. It just kind of stinks that that's the bad tape that's going to be in Auburn fans' mouth. But you know what? Malik Willis is going to get more opportunities. So, you know, hats off to him. Uh, best of luck to him uh, in upcoming opportunities that he has. Yeah, I, they need to let him throw the ball a little bit more. They really missed out on on giving him some opportunities to throw the ball in the second half of that game. He threw it a well, little bit. Well, unfortunately, yeah. 
Yeah, but Auburn wasn't going to throw the ball. I mean, and, and we saw that it. with Stidham. I mean, I get it, but if Malik, if Jarrett Stidham goes down, it, even if Malik Willis is Nick Marshall, if he has no experience throwing the football around, we're still in trouble. You've got to, you got to do something to get him. Yeah, ready. I mean, I mean, and yeah, that's really, that's really my knock, I guess, against how that game went was that. Uh, you know, Stidham needs to have that better understanding with his receivers. We need. I, I felt like we should have given him more opportunities to throw the ball. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, Willis has got to be able to step into that situation as well, and that means giving him opportunities to throw the ball too. I mean, this game wasn't in jeopardy. They they could have let him throw the ball a little bit, and they just decided not to do that. So yeah, what's the you know, worst that can happen? He throws a pick six against Alabama State in mop up time. That's fine. He'll never throw a pick six on that route or that play ever again, and make him a better quarterback. Absolutely. You learn more from your mistakes than you ever do with your successes. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, they just kind of shortchanged him a little bit. I mean, look, you can see them Gus Malzahn's face. They panned to him, I know, one time late in that game. And, I mean, they had checked out at that point. I mean, they were letting, you know, the student section call plays with big, you know, signs that they held up looking for, you know, the Oregon Duck and Burt Reynolds and, you God know. Yeah, and, and Sally Fields in an Auburn shirt and saying, hey, pick one of those plays and run it. So, you know, it is what it is. In addition to Willis getting playing time, we also got our first look at Cord Sandberg. And you told me that Cord Sandberg may be the backup by the end of the year. Well, you know, I mean, I just... Or was I that mean, somebody you, else? Was that you? No, it was it was definitely me. It okay. was definitely me. Um, and... You know, I just – why else do you bring a guy like that? You know, he, he spends six years or, you know, whatever, the Phillies organization. Uh, you know, and I'd love for Cord Sandberg. I, I tweeted him a couple of times, not that I'm anybody special. In fact, I'm probably a guy that he's already blocked. But, you know, I feel like a guy like him has – and I think you said this, as a matter of fact, uh, he understands conditioning. He understands uh, working out, preparing himself, certainly, in terms for professional baseball – so, I mean, he, he's got to have that kind of side to him already. And I just – I saw enough from his high school film, which, like I said, that was from 1997. But, uh, you know, I just – I think he, he's closer to Jared Stidham than he is to Malik Willis. And Malik Willis is light years from Jared Stidham. So, in terms of plug-and-play quarterbacks, uh, Malik Willis may be Auburn's starting quarterback next year. But I think Court Sandberg's the guy that's going to back up Stidham this year. Interesting. I wasn't I wasn't unimpressed by Cord Sandberg, but I mean he looked calm and poised and all that stuff. But I, I guess I just need to see it against better competition. I mean he's not like he showed that he had pretty good mobility. Like he's not a human puma, but he's not also Sid Bream from the Braves in 1991. So I mean I, I get the appeal. But I don't know that he's like the shadow backup quarterback. I think Mal- Malik Willis is the solid number two. Well, you know, I, I think, like I said, I think it's just kind of the with the personnel that Auburn's going to have on the starting side of the ball, the the other ten players, Court Sandberg is closer with his skill set to, to Stidham and what that offense wants to do currently than than Malik Willis is. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, he showed some some good some good things against a very beaten, very tired. Alabama State, you know, I mean, he ran the ball good. He actually, again, I don't want to, like, uh, make make a bad comparison to Cam Newton, but he ran to me a lot like Cam in terms of those long strides and, you know, diving and stuff. But Whoa. probably a bad – yeah, I know. That, Finding it hard to court Sandberg. Well, I am – I probably should – we should probably just edit that out because people are going to eat me alive on Twitter, you know. That one guy that actually listens to the podcast is going to talk, say that I'm I'm ridiculous, but you know, regardless, I, I felt like he I felt like he ran the offense well. It looked cohesive, it looked balanced, and with Malik Willis, even when Malik Willis is doing Malik Willis things, it's not balanced. It's that razor's edge where you know he's just as likely to rip off an 80 yard run as he is to you know get a safety get, in his own end zone a, against Alabama. Get a safety State. in his own exactly, and that that's the point. Listen. In terms of, of entropy, of what Malik Willis brings, he's he is that guy. He is that guy that you you pull the pin and you throw him into the crowd, and good things happen or bad things happen, but something happens. And Court Sandberg is definitely on the other end of the spectrum where, yeah, your results are they may be okay, but they're probably going to be closer to mediocre. 
but at least you know that you're not going to have like really bad results. True. True. Uh, so two surprise returns in this game, Will Hastings, Eli Stove. How in the hell are they back already from ACL injuries? Well, I think you got to look at uh, oh, what's his face the uh, the sur- the surgeon that everybody works with. I think he's probably you know we've talked about vampire blood and you know Doctor James kids Andrews. plasma. Do- Doctor James Andrews. He's concocted some new thing where he actually cuts off your leg and welds on Bo Jackson's leg. That's what oh, I okay. think. So yeah, he's hip. come up with some new thing. Right, Sorry, as long as it's yeah. not the hip. I just but, uh, like, I wonder if Sal Canelo was just heartbroken when he found out that Will Hastings was going to come back from ACL injury like faster than any human being ever. Well, you know, he had to be, but he, uh, he no, took his hands. I and... finally caught a touchdown pass, and this guy's healing like Wolverine over here. Like, dude, Will, just like let me have Alabama State. I'm sure he's probably hoping that uh, Hastings would go ahead and, and redshirt this year, you know, make him relevant in the offense. Yeah, not only did he not redshirt, he played in the second game of the season, and it's like... It's like Eli Stove and Will Hastings found that basement swimming pool from the movie Cocoon with the old people. Do you remember that? Right, right. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I think and and I think they like swam around in that water, and it made them feel better or something. I think like one of the old people karate chopped a street thug or something and knocked him out. But you know, really, if you think about it, if your knee rehab involved skinny dipping with Wilfred Brimley, like that would speed up my my recovery as well. Well, it would speed up me getting Don out of that Michi pool, that's for all, certain. Like, ugh, this old people water. I th- I, Gross. I, <laughs> I don't know, man. It, it's crazy, but they're back. Will Hastings is back. It, yeah, it, it really is an incredible feat. Um, you know, just... I mean, I, I don't think that the timetable... Having had an ACL uh, repair and getting back on the horse and getting on the field, I don't think is, you know incredible by any stretch but but to to do it in terms of a division one powerhouse program and convincing the coaching staff that you're ready to go that is incredible i know especially that part is just insane especially when you consider that it's gus malzahn gus malzahn probably told him to take like two years off like just come see me after the next olympics will like you'll still have your eligibility well i mean he's lucky malzahn didn't tell him to go ahead and find another school you know what i'm saying yeah I mean, wow. All right, so what everybody's listening for, I think we need to move ahead. We probably spent a little more time on Alabama State than than most people wanted. LSU at home this weekend. It's going to be number, what, 7 Auburn and 12 LSU or 15? Yep, yep, 12, 11 or 12 at this point. They made an absolutely just meteoric rise after beating that Miami turnover chain, which, by the way, I didn't know this, but they have a – New turnover chain this year that's worth $96,000, which is insane. I mean, how would you let the thugs from Miami walk around with $96,000 worth of turnover chain? I will never know. It's not the first time that somebody on Miami's sideline has had a $96,000 necklace paid for somebody by the school. So No, it wouldn't. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I forget what that guy's. I was trying to – I kept calling him Alan Shapiro, but I know that's not – we're not talking about OJ. But, is, uh, it, uh, is it Ben Shapiro? Something Shapiro. It is, isn't it, Shapiro? Anyway, I'm, you know, yeah, we're... it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Screw Miami. I think the the win over Miami was so overrated, and I may even be like contradicting myself from the first episode because I think I ignorantly predicted Miami to win that game. I can't remember, but I was not realizing or remembering at the time that was Miami's fourth straight loss. So, to me, that LSU victory over Mark Rick. It's one or two things. Either Miami is water garbage and nobody realized it, or two, they really are that good, and it was another Mark Rick loss. So either way, LSU's the far inferior team in my mind. Well, you know, if you go back and look at those stats, which everybody right now with this game uh, on the horizon. Almost even. Yeah. Well, in fact, Miami outgained LSU. LSU didn't do anything spectacular, so, you know, all bro self or bro ham or bro, uh, bro, what is his name? Burrow? The running back. Not Burrow. Oh. The running back. 
I don't know. Anyway, not, it, not it's Leonard Fournette. That's who I know that. Not Leonard yeah, Fournette. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> this guy is, you know, he's waited patiently in line behind all these guys. Uh, he's a redshirt senior, I believe. He had a couple of touchdown runs in that game. But for the most part, Burrow was, you know, another LSU quarterback. And, yeah, you know what? They got a fantastic pick six there that kind of, like, put the game away. But in the end, I mean, as we saw this past week, Miami's just – they're just not there yet. They weren't there really last year, and they weren't with Rozier – and they weren't there with Kaya the year before. I mean, they're just they're no. just Miami. No. I think there's just too many distractions at the University of Miami, and I get it. Well, yeah. I mean, have you seen the girls down there? I'm exactly. Hey, I play football. Boom. Hook up. And I have a $96,000 turnover chain around my neck. That I haven't been able to use in a football game yet because Mark Richt is our coach. But anyway, so, you know, yeah, I mean – that that win, I just it, it doesn't mean much to me now. Uh, especially you know last week they take on the Southeast Louisiana State you know Mud Dogs and beat them thirty one to nothing. And Bobby Boucher wasn't even on the field. So you know anyway. So let's lead right into it. Take off. Well, I mean, one the biggest thing Auburn has going forward in this game is. I'm actually not going to say revenge for last year. I actually think that the biggest thing Auburn's going to have going for it in this game is the home field advantage. I think that's really going to screw with LSU's offense. And I think it's especially going to screw with Joe Burrow. I don't. I, he hasn't really experienced an atmosphere like that. And Auburn is going to be just a nut house Saturday when, you know, kickoff finally gets here. And on top of that, LSU's offensive line has done a very poor job of protecting Joe Burrow. And really... Going into 2018, I think Auburn got better. I think LSU stayed the same or maybe got a little bit worse. I, I don't, I'm not seeing the upgrade with LSU. Auburn doesn't even necessarily have to be super aggressive in this game. In fact, they may have to throttle their aggression a little bit just to make sure that they stay patient enough because, like, man-to-man, Auburn's just better, I believe. But home field advantage, I got a little off topic. I'm sorry. Home field advantage and LSU's liability of a, of an offensive line are really, really, really going to play heavily on LSU this weekend, I think. Yeah, you know, last year Auburn just completely outmatched them, especially there in that first half. I'm a firm believer that the coaching staff lost the game for Auburn last year. Oh, um, no doubt. You know, uh, I mean, I've never – well, I mean, I have seen games where coaches have lost them like in the last two minutes, you know, AKLS Miles or, or whoever, but – I've never seen a coaching staff over the course of an entire half just lose a game for a team like I felt like Gus Malzahn did last year for Auburn. But, uh, you know, I completely agree. You know, this is a game that Auburn really gets up for, and that's one of the reasons that I really wanted to go to this game is because I know our tailgate goes all out. Uh, i got a lot of great memories, and we're going to touch on that later on. But, uh, you know, the the student section is going to be insane. This is the SEC opener. Uh, we got a long history with this team. The – the home team is like has won like what eighteen straight or something like that at this point. Uh, yeah, something like that. It's something crazy. And, and really, you know, it's just kind of you know crazy how that that stat has worked. I think that it's like eighteen and two over the last twenty years for the home team. And there have been a couple of uh, you know outliers there, but for the most part, uh, the home team has excelled. Uh, Joe Burrow has not seen what what Auburn's going to bring in terms of crowd noise. No, uh, and of course that's going to be up to us, right? I mean, that we got to become part of this part of this game, and, and I feel like we will. Absolute goon squad is going to be coming after Joe Burrow Saturday at about three thirty Eastern time, two thirty Central. And of and, course, we hope that Derek Brown is going to be completely healthy. You know, there was a report that came out today where he was walking around in a walking boot. You know, he didn't seem to show any sort of injury. Uh, last week in his limited time against Alabama State, but uh, apparently he practiced every day this week, um, and he's supposed to be 100% full go. And like you said, the old goon squad, I mean, Burrow just hasn't seen it. He hasn't seen it. They can absorb some losses. I don't want Derrick Brown to be out, but we could afford it. I mean, not to sound too arrogant, but... I mean, we're pretty well, you good know, on the defense, so I'm not like really stressing. He needs to keep that boot on as long as he needs to. Well, he can play in the boot for all I care. Yeah, he or yeah, or he could play. Yeah, he could play with a boot on his head. But you know, a lot of the the people that have been on the radio, uh, you know, you, I can take it and leave it for for the most part. But everybody's kind of said that the story of this game is going to be the offensive lines and how they perform. 
So, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to throw it to you. Are you more scared of, of the performance of Auburn's offensive line against LSU's defensive line or of Auburn's defensive line against LSU's offensive line? Uh, I mean, easily I'm more scared of Auburn's offensive line versus LSU's defensive line because LSU can make some hay in that regards in this game because look, I'm not saying that LSU is a, a terrible football team. I don't think that they're average or below average by any means. I think that they're good, maybe pretty good. But I just believe that Auburn, personnel-wise, for the most part, is just better. And, you know, the defensive line may get home a little bit against this Auburn offensive line, especially considering the limited experience they have playing together. But also, I think you're going to see the offensive line for Auburn take a huge step forward after surviving that game against Washington. So they're going to know how to weather that storm. And that's actually one of the keys to this game for Auburn, for me, is I know that they want to come out and be, in, be aggressive and not take their foot off the gas, but I hope that they don't come out and try to be too aggressive too early. Like, this LSU's defense is legitimate. Like, they are a good, maybe great SEC defense, and they're going to play well. And Auburn's going to have to execute to make, you know, to have success against them. So it may, like, you might see a first quarter in this game that resembles the Auburn LSU games from like the early mid 2000s. Like this might be a slugfest early, but LSU just doesn't have the manpower to keep up with Auburn in that respect. They're going to be a match us at they're going to be able to match us at times and you know they might get to Stidham one, two, three times, but I think over the course of the game you're going to see Auburn slowly build momentum to the point where there's not much that LSU is going to be able to do. Yeah, and and one of the things that I think is important to note again, you know, Home field advantage is a huge thing. And the two strengths of both of these teams is probably the, the defensive plays, specifically the defensive line. But LSU can't feed off of the crowd like Auburn's defensive line can. And, I mean, it's blood in the water for those Sharks. No offense to Tony, Landshark Tony, you know, the confused old Miss Rebel slash Bear or whatever. But, sorry, no, Tony those Danza. guys – Yeah, sorry, Tony Danza. But these guys have a crowd behind them. And if they get started early – and get pressure on Burrow early, it's going to be a long night for LSU. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people aren't considering about this game. Like, yes, I mean, on any given day, any team can be anybody in the country. But LSU and, you know, with Joe Burrow at quarterback and the offensive line struggles that they've had, LSU's going to have an extremely tough time moving the football consistently and effectively against Auburn. They may have big plays. Fundamentals, that's the key for Auburn's defense in this game. Just fundamentals. Focus on fundamentals. And they don't really have a guy that can go sideline to sideline on us. I, I'm sure that they've got a scat back. But from what I've seen, what's what's the guy's name? Broseph, Broham. I can't remember. I, I I'm can't looking it up right I, now. Yeah. I don't – I mean, obviously he can get to the edge on some plays. But for the most part, net over the entire game – Auburn's got the advantage. They may have to catch up and establish a little momentum on offense. They may not. I mean, if Stidham comes out slinging it and doesn't let up, that may not be the case. But LSU's going to have a tough time moving the football, and they're going to have a tough time communicating on the field. Absolutely. So I I think this is going to lead into my next point. I'm going to throw it to you. I'm going to ask you, how do you feel about Auburn's run game this week? I, You know, God, you know, Last season, uh, we, we've got them because Stidham comes out, and Stidham comes out with his hair on fire, right? Mm-hmm. And puts us up big. LSU walks down an extra man into the box in the second half. Auburn's coaching staff makes no adjustment. They can't run the ball. This year's a little bit different because we just don't – you know, no offense to Cam Martin and to Booby Whitlow, but, but right now uh, Auburn just doesn't quite have that running back yet. Now – Booby Whitlow, this may be his game. I hope it is. I think it's going to be. But how do you feel about Auburn's running a game against these guys? I think that it's going to struggle a little bit in the first half. I think we're going to have to throw it to set up the run, possibly. And that's that's one of my concerns with Auburn coming out and trying to be too aggressive. Because this LSU defense, they're, I mean, they're going to play solid, you know, and they have talent, too. It's not like a Sylvester Croom defense from Mississippi State. So, you know, Auburn might have to weather a bit of a storm early as well. As far as a running game goes, 
I agree with you. I, I've had that in the back of my mind as well. I do feel like this could be a game that Booby Whitlow really breaks out in. Um, he got some happy feet in the Alabama State game. I think he got a little cocky with his feet. And uh, I actually noticed that after my buddy Matt Pike, who did an episode or two with me last year, pointed it out. I, I, want, I hope Booby focuses on staying a little bit lower and running a little bit tougher in this game because that LSU defense is going to hit a lot harder than Alabama State. So I think eventually we'll have a 100-yard rusher in this game, but it may be on one of the final carries in, you know, middle, late fourth quarter. Well, I, you know, I, I, mean, I agree that, that, that the guy to do that would be Booby Whitlow. I don't see Cam Martin running for 100 yards against this defense. No, no, I don't. I mean, this is a throwback game, I think, for Auburn. Uh, you know, and we've seen this with LSU and Alabama in particular where, you know, you got a running back that has 78 yards and a touchdown, and that's the difference maker. Now, I – I also believe that, that Booby could bust out a 70-yard run uh, off the first play of the game. And, and and it's Nick Brosette, by the way, is the LSU running back. I knew it was Brosette, Broham, Bro, Brosa. Sorry, Nick Brosette. But, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's a reason why this guy has been behind, you know, Fournette and, and, the, and the guys, the other guys. So, and Geis, and I just, he's not the talent. Uh, I think he's going to have a really, really long day. Now, with that being said, that 78 you know, yards and one touchdown line for a guy like Brissett is a big deal. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's just going to be interesting, though, in terms of Auburn's offense and running the ball. I, I think you're 100% correct. I think Auburn's going to have to throw first to set up the run. And for once, you know, with Jarrett Stidham, I'm not scared of that. And I, and I believe that will hap- happen. We saw it last year, except we just didn't make any changes when they walk that extra guy up into the box. Right. No, I'm not scared of it either. One good thing about Auburn's running game uh, or running backs and, and all that going into this game is if you want to get yards on the ground against LSU, you got to run in between the tackles, I think. I think they got too much speed on defense to try to burn them at the edges. And Booby Whitlow, I think, is a guy that can do that. I don't think he's going to fumble the ball again because he doesn't want his mom to make him do 50 push-ups after the game and embarrass him. Yeah, so, props, props to Booby's mama. Mama Booby. Mama Booby laid the law down. I I couldn't even do 50 push-ups right now if my mom told me to. I'd be like, can I just like make your bed for you or something? But I think that Booby maybe learned from that because I like how he responded in the Alabama State game. Obviously, it's not the same level of competition, but uh, it's going to be a little bit of a baptism by fire by you know for Booby Whitlow this week. Yeah, well, like legitimately welcome to the SEC. You know, and, and something though that uh, you know, going a different direction here, I, I do believe that that Booby has to perform, and I think he is the key of the game. But uh, you know, unfortunately for him, I think one of the backbreakers is going to be uh, LSU is going to have to play super aggressive to stay with Auburn, especially with the crowd noise. And when they see Whitlow or or whatever, they're going to have to be super aggressive, and they're going to have to rush up the middle. They're going to have to bring an extra man. And I actually think that the game breaker is going to be you know something that me and you talked about the last two weeks. I've written about it a little bit. When they're super aggressive, throwing that ball to the back like a Cam Martin out of the backfield, you know, Booby Whitlow is going to be that guy that sets it up, but he's not going to get credit because I think Cam Martin is going to be the guy that takes a couple of passes out of the backfield and really does some massive damage against a super aggressive LSU defense. Or throw it to Sean Shivers out of the backfield and, like, just let him run like the psychopath that he is. Yeah, you know, that would work too, uh, you know. But I got a lot of faith in Cam Martin. I think that's I that's an too. area that I, he can make a, a major impact on the game. I, I, yeah, and I think that's the role most suited for Cam Martin. I just, I don't know, man. I get really excited thinking about Sean Shivers trying to bow over LSU defenders. And then imagining, like, if he really did it, like, how exciting that would be. I know that sounds crazy because somebody's getting hurt, but I would literally, literally just clap and laugh watching Sean Shivers run over LSU defenders. Well, you know, I mean, that was one of the keys of the game in 2010 was, and it wasn't Marcus Peters. It was, uh, I forget the guy's name, played for LSU's defensive back, returned punts. and Patrick Peterson. You know, he, Patrick Peterson. You're right. Thank you, Derek. Man, you, you bailed me out on that one. But, you know, going into that game, Patrick Peterson was one of the, you know, top Heisman guys. And really the deciding play for that game, both figuratively in terms of the score, but also in terms of momentum swings, was Kim bowing over Patrick Peterson in the in the open field on the way to his big touchdown run that put him at the top of the Heisman leaderboard. And it would be great to see a, a play like that. Now, granted, Sean Shivers isn't going to be in New York at the end of the year, but it's going to be a play like that where, you know, 
the momentum just rides on the back of one of these guys that decides that, hey, this is a physical game, and I'm going to be physical. Yeah, Cam Newton drug Patrick Peterson into the end zone like you see a father carry his child like one-armed off the beach. The kid doesn't want to go. Everybody's tired, and he's like, you know, we're going back to the room, and the kid doesn't want to stop building sandcastles, so the dad just picks him up and holds him with one arm, you know, and the kid's kicking and screaming and crying. That's what Cam Newton did to Patrick Peterson into the end zone. Well, see, Patrick I was Peterson actually just wanted to stay, like, in the defensive secondary making sandcastles all day, and Cam Newton was like, screw that. You're headed with me to the student section, PP. Well, see, I was actually thinking of, like, my dad on a Sunday morning at church where uh, I decided to draw my 15th space shuttle on the back of the visitor's registration card, and my dad said, if you pick up another one of those cards and draw on the back of it, I'm going to drag you to the bathroom and wear your little rear end out. And I drew it anyway. And so, you know what he did? Drug me all the way to the bathroom and wore my little rear end out. And that's pretty much what Cam did to Patrick Peterson. Yeah, that's a similar carry. Uh, In one, the dad's just frustrated. And in the other one, the dad's angry. I didn't want to do an angry dad reference. But since it was your dad, it's okay. Yeah, you know, my dad was an angry guy. But you know what? He always had his mind right and always got my mind right, turns out. My dad has... Uh, fingers and thumbs that are three and a half inches wide, and he would thump me on top of the head Uh when I was a kid. My dad had a... by a ninja turtle. Yeah, my dad did that. He also had a nasty mule kick that he would get me in the rear end with. Woo! Back to football. Yeah, he could punt me over all the cars at Walmart, which he did on occasion. (laughs) Hear that and more in Zach and I's Child Punishment podcast starting next week. Yeah, we're going to go to Daddy's Beat Us Anonymous. That's what it's, this podcast is starting to sound like. <laughs> so, uh, final thoughts on this LSU game. I think that, although it may take longer than people want it to, I think that eventually Auburn's going to take control and run away with it. At, whether that's by a touchdown and a field goal, or it ends up being three touchdowns at the end of the game, I really don't know. But I just I'm fairly confident that at some point Auburn's gonna take over the game and it's it's not really gonna be in doubt for the last half quarter or so, or maybe fourth quarter in, in its entirety. Man, I, I sure hope so. You know, I mean right now the line is excuse me, nine and a half points. And I gotta be I gotta admit to you guys, you know, I, I took this bet, you know, I finally found me a little local local bookie here and I just I just felt like this game just set up perfectly for Auburn as long as the weather holds out and it looks like it's going to. If it doesn't rain and it's not windy, I mean, I think with Jarrett Stidham, you know, using the pass to set up the run and then eventually going back to the pass to close the game out, I feel like Auburn's going to be able to kind of have their way. Uh, you know, we've only seen really one blowout in this series in the last couple of years, and, you know, and that was in 2014 when Auburn just absolutely laid the wood to LSU at home. And I'm kinda, I kind of had that feeling because this team, this LSU team, is kind of the same as that 2014 team. Yeah, they're good. They're fundamentally sound. Uh, but Auburn just, you know, outmatched them, you know, especially on the offensive side of the ball versus the LSU defense. So, you know, I don't know. I, it's, it's not an half points. Are the Sharps looking at this and going, man, we're going to get a bunch of suckers on this? Or are they looking at this and going, you know, we don't think people believe in Auburn the way they should, and we're going to take advantage? And I kind of think it's the latter. Yeah. I agree. I think the biggest thing with this LSU team that makes me, I mean, I respect them. They're not a terrible football team, but nothing about this team is dynamic. And I think that's what separates the run of the mill or, you know, middle of the pack teams in the SEC from the great ones, from the Alabamas, from what Auburn's been, you know, last year and in seasons past. They've got that dynamic element. And I'm just not really seeing that with this LSU team. I mean, they're not bad. They're going to show up and play solid football. But I don't look at any one position group or player on either side of the ball and go, we need to watch out for that guy. That guy Absolutely. right there. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you know, even when we look at Brosette, Brosette is not the dynamic back that they've had the last couple of years that, you know, absolutely abused Auburn in this game. But the, the more important thing for me is that they don't have that guy on the outside that scares me. I mean, you know, this is this is wide receiver you, so to speak. Um, they just don't have that guy. Not only do they not have that guy, but I don't think they have the quarterback that could like float the ball up and let him take over games like we've seen in the past. I mean, this is it. This is a school that has had just year in and year out. They've had an NFL talent receiver 
even though, you know, looking at last year in particular, um, even though they may not have gotten him the ball, the NFL still respected the guy enough to, to take him in the draft. And I just don't think they had that this year. No, I don't. Now, and, I mean, I, I think that's about as much as we can say about it. They're not great. Will they beat you if you show up to a game, uh, you know, to play them and you don't do all the right things? Yes. LSU will beat you, and they will beat you by more than three points. But I don't see Auburn doing that this weekend. I think they're going to be very prepared. I think the coaches have had this game circled for quite a while, probably since the day after last year's game. And I think we're going to see a very sharp Auburn team this Saturday in Jordan-Hare. Yeah, and I look at last week's performance and kind of how some things maybe didn't look great for Alabama State, but how they could uh, you know, really prepare them for this week. I think Auburn is going to be incredibly sharp, incredibly prepared. You know, I, I'm I'm buying in, man. I, you know, me and you, we've rarely bought into Auburn in terms of big points, but me and you did it for uh, the Iron Bowl last year, and I'm kind of there. I think Auburn is a 10-point winner in this game. Yeah, I'm tired of – I was nervous before the season started, especially about the Washington game, and the Washington game gave me a little more confidence, and I just decided that I'm tired of feeling bad about Auburn. I'm tired of worrying about it. I'm just going to roll with it. So you, yeah, you, you've been you've been attending the uh, the Auburn Doubters Anonymous meetings too? Yes, I have like these like these amulets that I rub during the games, and I meditate, and it's great. Well, that's fantastic. Hey, listen, you know, before we close this out, I just wanted to ask you about your favorite LSU versus Auburn memory. Hands down, I'm so glad that we're finally talking about this on the podcast. Hands down. The catch by Courtney Taylor from Jason Campbell in 2004. Uh, I believe it put Auburn up. What did it tie the game at six? It it tied it tied the game at uh, nine to nine at that. That's point, right. That's right. That's right. Because LSU had kicked three field goals. Right. Or no, no, no. LSU had scored a touchdown and missed an extra point. That's what it was. That's right. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway. Hands down, that was my favorite moment, and it's still probably the loudest I've ever heard that stadium, you know, from nothing to just an explosion of noise. And that's even taken into consideration 2013 Georgia and Alabama. That was a truly insane moment, and my first so were, one as an Auburn fan. So so were you at that game? Were you inside the stadium? Yes, I was in high hey, school. Okay, so so where were you sitting? Come on, you got to walk us through this. Be a story. Okay, coach, I'm sorry. Right? I was on the same ramp that uh, that I was on for the Georgia game, and I never can remember the ends of the stadiums. I was, if you're looking at the jumbotron from the other end zone, I was on the ramp to the left of the jumbotron. What okay. end of the stadium is that? South end zone. Yes. So, Jason Campbell threw that touchdown pass towards us. Oh man, you lucky dog. I know, and and the student section, and of course the fans and everybody, the place just went insane. And I like that was the first big Auburn game I'd ever been to. I'd never been to an Iron Bowl at that point. I'd, I'd you know I'd been to when they played Wyoming and teams like that. And so to see them beat LSU and to see that amazing play that was almost just like out of a movie, essentially. I mean, the whole place just went nuts. And I was already in love with Auburn football at that point, but that was what, like, solidified it. I was like, yeah, this is my bay, and I'm never leaving you, baby, no matter what. South Florida tested that love just three years later. Uh-huh, yeah. But but I stayed strong. Well, you know, that, that game was so, – so my wife is born and raised in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Her dad is a graduate from the University of Alabama, so she, she grew up an Alabama fan. And I took her. Is to that the why 2000- she never graduated high school? That's right. That's right. That's why she has no teeth. We're just joking. My wife is a gorgeous woman, and she's the the, the best Auburn fan you could hope for. But anyway, she is. She's I an took awesome her person. I can vouch. So so I took her to the 2002 Auburn Georgia game where uh, it wasn't Matt Stafford. It was the other guy. It was a David Green. You know, sticks a dagger in our heart. So our first game was that game where Auburn loses. I took her to the 2003. Uh, USC game where you know we got our brains beat in by two Heisman winners, but her third game was the 2004 Auburn LSU game, and we sat in the LSU section right next to their fans, and uh, 
you know, it was just absolutely nuts, absolutely loud, and we came away with the win. And but that's still not my favorite memory. My favorite memory has to be, and this is, you know, we're going back to talking about our dads that beat us and all that. My favorite memory was the 1994 uh, five pit game, and I was dove hunting with my dad. And at the time, of course, everybody remembers that uh, Auburn was on probation. You couldn't watch them on TV. So we had this old 1973 international pickup truck, which ended up being my first vehicle. And we were dove hunting, and I was laying on the roof of that truck as my dad and I were dove hunting, eating and eating all the nutrageous candy bars I wanted and sardines, pork skins, <laughs> and drinking all the Dr. Peppers and Cokes that I wanted. It was the only time that I ever got any of these things, by the way. My mom is probably freaking out right now as she's listening. But, you know, that game was over. But the dove hunting was slow, and we continued to listen to it. And for Auburn to climb back in that game the way they did with the pick sixes just cemented itself in my memory. And, I mean, I can remember the fence line, what it looked like. I remember the dog that was with us. I remember everything about that game. Despite never seeing a snap of that game because it wasn't on TV, I can remember everything about that. So, you know, I I think that has to be my best memory of an LSU game, even though I've been to several of them. Wow. That's pretty amazing. That's a great story because I never would have guessed that it would have been one that you listened to on the radio, but that's awesome. I'm going to follow that story with something not nearly as exciting or heartwarming. We're going to talk about the Trackham Tigers Pick'em Contest, and I just want to remind everybody that it's still not too late to sign up, but I do think you have to sign up by tomorrow. Is that right, Zach? Yeah, or I can think you so. sign I up mean, whenever you just don't get you just don't get points for the weeks that you missed. Yeah, and, and you know what? If you're uh, if you're a professional handicapper, then it doesn't matter. I mean, you could probably sign up this week and still make up a lot of ground because people like me and Derek are not so good at the picking of the games. No, I'm not good at all, and I don't even know what my record is this week. I just know how many points I got. I got nine points. Does that mean I just pick nine games right? Yeah, it means you pick nine games right, which uh, isn't I'm the worst. Down. So, yeah, I, I mean, mine. Either though, I I started like thirteen and ten, I think, the first week, which isn't bad, but. Uh, my last week was so bad that I will be dropping that week. Hopefully, I'm dropping my first two weeks, which will mean I turned it around in a big way. But, uh, ugh. I, I think I did the worst. I'm not certain, but I think I did the worst. No, you're not the worst because there's plenty of people that, you know, sign up and don't pick any games. Oh, that's true. Thank, thank God for those people because they make me look a lot smarter than I am. But I just want to run through the... The top five here really quick for week two. We've got Storm and Norman in first place. War Eagle Sun, New York War Eagle tied for second with 18 points apiece. Coming in fourth is Gray Fox, Zach's best friend from the blog. Yep. And in fifth place, we have uh, Landon Turner. Or excuse me, tied for fourth is Gray Fox, Landon Turner. A name that I cannot pronounce and I'm not. Anarum183. What is that? Is that like a medical think- term? I think that's like a fancy room in a mansion. Okay, well, fantasy room in a mansion. All be 75, all beasts is amazing bracket. KJ Nolan 4, and coming in in 10th place is Port Council. So sign up for the Pick'em Contest. Get your name read on the podcast. Get a shout-out. I'm pretty sure all the usernames I just read are real people and not Russian bots. So, yeah, and compete to win the Golden Bow, which is the Oscar Award of Fantasy Sports. Isn't that right, Zach? That is right. I'm telling you, there is nothing finer that you can put on your man cave or your toilet or your kitchen window than the old golden bow. Fantastic job by you guys. Hey, listen, if you hit 18 games last week, that is phenomenal, and you are doing yourself a disservice not going to Vegas. Yeah, because I look at somebody who got 18 games right like a child looks at a big league baseball player or something. That's just magic to me. I don't even understand how it happens. I don't know what goes into it. I don't know what you did. I just know that the result was amazing. I don't know. I don't know how people do it. It's a lot harder I, than I thought it would be. I think, I think uh, you know, sometimes everybody <laughs> gets lucky, and last week was not my week to get lucky, which pretty much the story of my life. But props to those guys. You know, keep it rolling. Make sure you make your picks every week. It's not too late to sign up. Um, you know, if you're hitting more than 52.4%, then you are not properly motivated, and you should go to Vegas and make more money. But, hey, the Golden Bow is the standard for picking games if you're an Auburn fan that reads trackoftigers.com. Absolutely. And it's been featured in magazines like, well, 
Well, I don't think it's been in a magazine, but it will be one day, and you can tell your kids or your grandkids or your neighbor or your parole officer or whatever, I want a golden bow way back when, when it was nothing, before it was cool, and you'll have like this vintage hipster vibe going on with it. And after the Holocaust and the nuclear bombs fall, the golden bow, because it is the finest trophy in all of the world, will survive. It'll still be there. So your, your name will live on forever. You'll still be there. All you got to yep. do is sign up and pick some games. Yeah. No pressure. No pressure. Just the greatest award in fantasy sports. So that's going to do us for this week's episode. Uh, I'm Derek Roberts at TET Podcast on Twitter. As always, I've been joined by Zach Taylor, who is at Best5Zach on Twitter. Zach, I really appreciate it. For sure. Make sure you eat your corn dogs this week. It's true. They uh, smell like fried food because that's all they eat is fried food. And... Uh, like hopefully carnies. We'll see you down they there. smell like carnies. Do they have small hands? I don't know. I don't look at their hands, but they're normally like like under the water noodling for catfish. You know, that's true. That's true. Let's eat some. Okay. Let, let's eat some Gulf. Some you know, Gulf Shores from Alabama seafood. Yeah. Have a yeah, great time. Yeah. I'm really excited. Zach War Eagle. Hopefully, I'll see you this weekend. All right, War Eagle. We'll see you soon. Money